This podcast is produced by Painted Tree Boutiques. Welcome to the Life and Style Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Lane. On this podcast, I chat with dreamers and doers about all things life, style, and everything in between. Because style is more than what's at the surface. It's self-expression, creativity, and stepping into who you are. Hello, wonderful friends. How are you today? I hope you are having an amazing week. And I am so thankful to you for being here today. And I'm especially excited about this week's episode. This is the conversation that I had with Catherine J. LeMaster, who is an incredibly talented and accomplished residential and production designer. So in this conversation, she shares everything about what it looked like for her to get to the place that she's at now as a designer, what her day-to-day really looks like, the ins and outs of you know what it takes to be a designer at the level that she's at. And then she also shares so many like really practical tips about how to improve your home. So we literally go room through room by room talking about, okay, how do we make a kitchen feel better? How do we make a living room feel better? Talk about bathrooms, talk about dining rooms, bedrooms. And she gives so many actionable um, tips that you can literally take from this podcast and go implement in your home today, this week. So I'm really excited to share that with you friends and I hope you enjoy. I know that you will. Catherine is a true joy. So without further ado, the wonderful Catherine J. LeMaster. Hello, hello, Catherine. How's it going? Hello, it's going great. How are you? Wonderful. I'm so glad to have you here on the Life and Style podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you again for having me on. Absolutely. So let's get started with you kind of giving a little introduction about who you are and what you do. Okay. Awesome. Well, I am Catherine J. LeMaster. Um, I am an interior designer slash production designer. Um, that was a fun backstory. I'll get into more of kind of how I got interested in design initially, but, um, I live in the Little Rock area. Um, I have a little boy who's four years old and two chocolate lab puppies, Rufus and Nellie. Um, I say puppies, they're huge and nine years old, but they'll always be puppies. (laughs) Always your puppies. (laughs) Yes. Um, but I've had my own design business for a little over eight years now, which again, that's just crazy how time has flown, but, um, I do primarily residential design. So lots of remodels and some new construction, sometimes even just redecorating projects. It just varies from client to client, the scope of work. So I love the variety, um, just, yeah, getting to help everyone kind of meet them where they're at in their design process and, um, yeah, providing that service that, you know, lets me use my artistic skills and at the same time really solves a problem for them. Um, it's a really rewarding field. And so, yeah, so that's, that's really fun. I ended up crossing over into production design sort of accidentally like a year after starting my company. Um, I've always loved film and a friend I knew who, um, was doing a short film. I crashed that set and helped do some set design (laughs) for free on this, you know, kind of low budget, um, short film project. And then ended up networking there, connecting with the makeup artist who put me in touch with someone when they needed a set decorator, when the crew came to town and they reached out. And so that was kind of my, I was like, yeah, I do this, you know, because Oh, I had done it, you know, once, but yes. <laughs> it wasn't in my official service offerings. I had done a set design project back in college that I thought was super fascinating. Um, so it was neat to watch how it integrates because you're using a similar skill set, but there's different um, aspects, I guess, that you're creating something for temporary purposes rather than long-term purposes. Mm. So it challenges you, you know, in a different way as far as how you're going to go ahead and go about that to create an end result. Um yes. 
and it's really fast paced too. So kind of get a variety of those. I'd say it's about, you know, maybe 20% production design, 80% residential design, um, and then have great, um, two part-time contractors that work with me on a regular basis, my junior designer, Emily, and my project manager, Forrest. And they're also two of my best friends. And so we've kind of through the years just built this little team and kind of, you know, sub them in when we need <laughs> extra things, just depending on um, the scope of the project. And so, um, yeah, so that's primarily what I do. Um, it's really fun. I've been shocked how much I love the entrepreneurial side of things. Um, when I got into design, I didn't know that I was going to start my own business. And that was just kind of a <laughs> unfolded one step at a time. Again, we can get more into that story, but I look back now and go like, oh, God knew like that is what I needed to do. And, you know, something that I enjoy and, um, yeah, have nerded out through the years on all the business podcasts and gotten to be a part of a couple business mastermind programs. And, um, yeah, there's just a lot to that too, that I'm also just always like coming up with new business ideas and new ways. I want to expand to this and that and add more services or offerings for clients in this current business. And anyway, so yeah, it's just one of those things that you look back and find yourself in the midst of like, so grateful that that's what you get to do for a living. And, um, it's the things we don't plan sometimes that end up being the most, yeah, fulfilling and meant to be. So absolutely. It's so true. Oh, okay. I, I do. I want to get into how you yeah. got to where you're at because I love seeing, looking through photos and looking through your work. You're so talented. Where did all of this begin and how did you kind of get to this place that you are now? So, so what happened was a long time ago when there were just two kids. So it was my older sister and I, um, my parents found this plot of land out in the country at the time near Pinnacle mountain. And, um, it was kind of, you know, this vision to build a house. My dad had a construction management background. That's not what he ended up doing for his career, but again, had all the knowledge and know-how. And so they ended up buying this little five acre piece of land out in the country, which it's amazing how little rock has moved out that way. They're still just outside the city limits, but you know, they're within five minutes from Walmart now. And <laughs> it wasn't but, that way when they right, bought it. <laughs> exactly. It was more remote. And so um, we ended up living in this little two bedroom mobile home. And I think by the time we moved into the mobile home, Kelly, so there were four kids by the time we bought the land, got the mobile home, moved in there, spent the first couple of years building the barn for storage, cleared the land. My mom had a couple more kids somewhere in there <laughs> we ended up kids by the time the house was built, moving into the house, oh like my goodness, five, six years later. Yeah. It was a whole process, but we were all homeschooled. And so we lived on this land in this mobile home next to this construction site where we're building my childhood home. Wow. <laughs> um, and so it was just such a unique, I mean, upbringing for one thing we loved golly, my sisters and I, especially just, it was such a great world to grow up in of just, um, having that free time too. I think, especially being homeschooled, being able to set our own schedules. It's like, once we were done for the day, I mean, I was out the door, I was fishing in the pond. I was riding my horse. I was, you know, like, yes, so there's oh. a lot of, I guess, um, creativity that got to be unleashed in a way that I think is more challenging nowadays with the, especially, I don't know, digital world we live in. I look back and that's a huge difference of, we didn't have internet. We didn't have a computer till I got my laptop right as I left for college. Like, I mean, it was just kind of so different, you know? And so there was just other ways. I mean, we were out building forts in the woods and designing really cool pulley systems for our water buckets over the trees at our little camps and forts. Oh, I love it. I love it. There was just a lot of imagination, I guess, um, that was afforded growing up out there. And so, but the biggest element was, um, getting to help build the house. And so, you know, when we got to our early teen years, um, especially my older sister and I, we got recruited to, you know, we'd be over there working on projects and we even got paid a little bit to help 
you know, install things. We learned how to install hardwood floors and baseboard. And, you know, part of the fun of living next to the building site was in our early teen years, my older sister and I, we even got hired, um, to again, that have that be our part-time summer job was just labor on the house, just the construction element. At that point we were on the interior. And so, um, we did everything from help, you know, we learned to help install the hardwood floorings. Um, we were, you know, sanding and staining and polyurethaning all the doors and oh, you know not a skill do... set most teenagers have that's incredible <laughs> it was really neat it was neat to get to do some of the I don't know like I call it woodworking but m- one of my favorite tools was the circular saw like cutting those you know mitered angled joints on the baseboard and you know shoot base shoe and the trim and just you know so we kind of learned how to do I don't know all of those little aspects of construction were just fascinating to me. The design element for one, because you are in there watching, you know, mom's picking paint colors and finishes. And I remember lots of, you know, Sunday afternoons strolling just even Home Depot at the time, looking at wallpaper samples and paint samples. And so just kind of getting to be around that, that whole process and getting to kind of get your hands in it. Um, I just really loved it. I loved the feeling of creating something and building something and, Mm. um, watching all of the time, effort, ideas, dreaming, planning come to fruition even though it was a long process since we were doing a lot of it ourselves, um, it was just neat being exposed to that. And so when it came time to choose a degree in college, I was, um, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I'm, I guess I've always been kind of a non-traditionalist. And so when I was looking through the list, I just knew the typical things I was reading. Um, some of my friends had, you know, were a year or two ahead of me and they were in the teaching programs or they were in the music program or, you know, people going off to be, some form of nurse or doctor or beautiful, wonderful fields. But again, to me, it was things I'd heard before that everyone else was doing. And it's like, when everyone else is doing it, I didn't want to do that. I and relate so, to that. Right. So I came across on the list of UCA uh, majors. Cause I just, again, like I didn't, I wasn't hard set on a particular school. I just knew somewhere reasonably affordable because I was going to be covering a lot of it myself, taking out some student loans. Um, wanted to be again off on my own, but having a close tight knit family wanted to be able to come back on the weekends if I wanted to. So had some other friends going to UCA. And so that's just where I decided I'd look first. And so came across the list of majors and it said interior design and it just kind of jumped off the page at me. And I went, is that a real job? Which I should have known at the time, but this is before, you know, I mentioned, I didn't have a computer for a while, yeah. <laughs> but this is Pinterest and, you know, HGTV being as big a deal as it is today, there just wasn't, I guess, a much, as much awareness, um, to the industry at the time. And like a lot of people, I had the misconception then that, you know, that just must've been a decorator or that's something you just do as a hobby. I didn't know that it was, you know, a real profession that you can make a living doing. And so I just right. was like, I wonder if that's what I think it is. Like, I wonder how different that is from decorator and how much it's like an architect, like, where does that fall on the spectrum? So I was really mm-hmm. curious about it. Um, but just from the little bit of exposure I'd had to the residential construction and design <laughs> upbringing, <laughs> um, I decided to try some intro classes my first semester and, um, so I, th- I think the first one was called intro to interior design. And so it's just a good overview of everything um, from the technical aspect of, you know, space planning to even the detail side of color schemes and finishes and fixtures. And um, it really was what I thought and more, and I just fell in love with it. And so oh. I just never looked back. I signed up for all the other classes and it really was this perfect, happy medium of the elements I really loved about like the, the technical aspect of say an architect's job where it's all about 
you know, planning, like you've got to have the functionality planned out before you have all the finishes and, you know, it doesn't matter how beautiful you make something. If it doesn't function for your life for that end goal, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't matter everything that you do. If it completely blows the client's budget, like there's so much accountability on the planning and, you know, the strategy involved with design. And then there's the artistic side that is more subjective and, you know, changes from project to project. And while there's design principles that go across the board that do help guide you with everything, no two projects are really alike. And so there's just so much, I don't know, so much variety. And so from the spectrum of like a decorator to an architect and to your designers kind of right in the middle where we get to, you yes, know, I'm we're curious about like where, what did, yeah. what is the distinction sure. between those? That's kind of how I've heard it explained to me through the years is really just that if there was a spectrum with a decorator on one end of it, which again, there is no educational requirement to be a decorator, but that typically implies that they're dealing more with superficial elements. So um, soft goods, draperies, pillows, paint finishes, you know, swapping out light fixture, but you're not really dealing with structural. You're not always, you know, let's move this wall here and knock this out here and, you know, take this down to the bones and rebuild, you know, it's a little bit. I guess, lighter on that side of things. Um, Whereas an architect, you absolutely need that education. You have to be licensed. You're, you're doing all the bones and um, (laughs) you know, all of the structure, all of that planning, but you're not typically the one who's picking out all the pretties and finishes at the end, you know, Um, your design, you know, you, we end up working and partnering with architects a lot because again, they would have the final say, if it is a big new construction or a remodel that has a lot of iffy things about it that we're needing to get approved, but we can actually draw the floor plans and space plans. Like we can do a whole construction document set of drawings where we've drawn the electrical plan and we've drawn all these drawings in AutoCAD, but then it would just need to be approved by a licensed architect Mm, or by the contractor. So it's more like we would consult with them and make sure like, Hey, this is what we're proposing. Do y'all have tweaks, changes, suggestions? Um, so we get to do some of that technical aspect, the space planning. Um, but then we're taking it all the way to the finishes and the pretties and the, all of the details. So it's kind of, again, you're dipping your toes in both ends. Um, right. And so that's why I love it because I love, again, the colors and the finishes and the artistic elements to it, but I get such a kick out of the functionality as well of like, you know, we could design this cubby under the stairs that has a secret drawer that has da, 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 that does all these <laughs> yes. things, you know? And so you can kind of get, you know, carried away with those aspects, you know, before you even get to the other layers and elements of it. Um, totally. so yeah, it's, I really, really love it. And yeah, but that's often a misconception. People don't really know what we do sometimes. And again, when I, I get questions from people who maybe I don't know as well, or maybe some of my parents, friends I haven't seen in a while. And I might see it at Christmas and they're like, are you still doing that decorating thing? Or like, are you still, you know, this and I'm like, yeah, like that's what I Try not to make work. a face. Like, <laughs> So with interior design, you don't have to go to school for it in certain states. The legislation changes from state to state on that. Really? Um, I didn't know that. thing you can um, pursue, it's called the NCIDQ certification, National Qualification for Interior Designers, um, that isn't required, but it's recommended, especially if you're, go- it is required in some states if you're going to practice as a registered interior designer. Okay. Arkansas is not one of those states where I'm not, again, concerned about putting registered in front of my name and having a number. And again, I'd say I've never even gotten that question from residential clients. I think if I were working in a commercial firm, I would absolutely pursue it just to, there's just a lot mm. to do with building codes and occupation codes and um, just all sorts of things you'd want to know and make sure you 
were well-versed in the most current because it has a lot to do with changing legislation of right. okay. safety within, you know, within buildings. Um, so that is something that again, like, I guess essentially anyone could wake up and call themselves an interior designer. But in theory, when you say that it more is that you have been trained, that you've gone to school or, you know, done an internship, worked in the field with someone or under someone and have some professional training. Um, but again, technically you don't have to be licensed for it. So, um, but yeah, always good. I would recommend having the education just because of the technical aspect, like learning AutoCAD, going through lighting codes class, like just things that do still stick with me. Um, but I feel like a lot of what I use on an everyday basis really is what you end up learning in the field. And so that's where I see where some people do just have a good eye or have a passion for it and decide like whether they're self-taught and, you know, take an online course or go back to school for it, or do just kind of start picking up some clients. Like there's tons of well-known decorator designers around here that didn't actually go to school for it, have just kind of been around for a while and dove right in and have built a client base and they learned right. everything noticed in the field. Um, so there's a lot of room to welcome, you know, people just with that talent and that passion. I always just say that just from, from my experience, it does help to at least, if not gone to school for it, worked at a firm or worked under someone that can kind of help save you time to catch you up on some stuff that would be helpful to know or learn. Um, a mentor of some, some, right. Exactly. Cause it can be, yeah. If you, um, you know, are willing to learn and want to learn. I think you absolutely can do that in like an apprenticeship mentorship type setting. Um, so yeah. Uh, but I really enjoyed, you know, going to school for it and, um, yeah, I, (laughs) I'm not sure. Yeah. As far as the jump from there, from school to then having my own business, there was, um, I did an internship. So towards the end of the, um, so senior year, we had to do a internship at a firm and a lot of people were going commercial. I'd say less go residential. And I'm not, I think it has to do with the money. Like it's just assumed that again, commercial has bigger budgets, but you're at bigger firms or working at architect firms. Um, and then residential, it's just can be smaller firms or you're a one woman show kind of, kind of firm. Um, so there weren't as many opportunities of where to be placed for residential, um, internships, but I thankfully, um, had the opportunity to work at, um, a really well-known luxury interior design firm here in Little Rock. And so worked there almost two years, did the internship, and then they hired me back as a junior designer. And so was there about another year, year and a half after, um, that being a junior designer. And, and what is a junior class. designer? So they essentially integral part of the team. I will tell you all day long, Emily, my junior designer, like she stays with me all day, every day. Like I've said, I need to just sign the company over to you because you actually do the design work. No, uh, no, they, it's essentially just more of a, it starts out like junior designer and then senior designer when you're in a firm more just kind of denotes length of experience. Um, and so essentially that they're more in a supportive role with design so that a senior designer may still have the final say, um, okay. but maybe a junior designer is doing more of the initial product research or proposing things to the senior designer. And then the senior designer is kind of editing out, like, how about this light fixture, not that one, or love actually it, love it. Find something with this pattern. Um, that's how we work together. Anyways. It's like, we may divide and conquer if we're, you know, super slammed. I'm like, you take this one. I take this one go. And we're essentially doing the same thing. Um, other times it's like, if I'm more in the process of, potential client interviews and the quoting process and catching up more on like the administrative 
overarching side of things, but it's like, I may have Emily get started on something and then I jump in once she's gotten it going okay. Um, okay. back and then we'll tag team it. Or alternatively, if I get to spearhead something, I'll get it started. And then if I have to pass it off to her, um, just depending on our schedule and be like, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. Here's the space plan. I'll have at that point drafted the layout in AutoCAD and be like, I'm thinking we'll need something like this, isn't this here? you know, I'm drawing a blank of what we should do here. Would love to see your suggestion. So it's a very collaborative approach. Awesome. I think when you have a good, um, team dynamic, it should be a really collaborative approach because, um, you know, I just think it's, it shouldn't be about competition or whose name is on the door. It's the end, the end result is that you serve the client and meet their need and create something that really is a reflection of who they are and that space that they'll enjoy. And, that takes a village. And I've learned firsthand from my early years of having to do everything on my own, that you just, you get better results when you have, um, more people to, yeah, be sounding boards for each other and divide and conquer. And so super grateful to not be doing it alone (laughs) now. So awesome. So you started as a junior designer right after you graduated. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then, um, after I'd been there about another year and a half, it just, we kind of got to a point where I felt like I had really, learned everything I could. And we just had some differing points on functionality of how things were run day to day, where it was just at a point of like, you know, I think, I think my time here is up. Like, I think this is the best decision for everyone. And so, um, shortly after that, I began working for, it was my first freelance project. I wasn't sure what I was going to do initially at the time I was on the side, flipping a house with my mom (laughs) because she used to, she had a background in real estate. And so we'd gotten this great idea that we were going to, you know, dream team. Yeah. Flip houses. And so had that sort of going on the side, but didn't know for sure. I assumed I would end up working at another firm at the time. I was not planning to start my own business, but I just, again, needed, needed a different, you know, environment from where I had been, um, needed a little breather from that. It was, you know, a pretty intense go, go, go. Um, we were really busy and again, it was just run differently, learned a lot of great things. I couldn't be doing what I'm doing without there, but alternatively also learned things like, okay, if I ever did do this myself, I do, I'd, do things differently in this regard, you know, right. Right. Um, valuable, so, valuable learning yeah, material either way. Right. So, so grateful. Um, so it was actually an old family friend approached me who was about to remodel her kitchen. And she knew again, that I was fresh out of school within the last couple of years and had worked at this firm. And she, um, took me to lunch and was like, I want you to design and remodel my kitchen. And I was like, Jessica, I love you, but I am very green. I don't think you want me doing that. She's like, no, you can totally do it. I believe in you. I want you to do it. And I was like, mm, you know, like, I don't Everyone know. Everyone needs I, that friend. I don't know. Just again, I didn't, I didn't really believe in myself at the time. I just always pictured being part of a team and not, I didn't. I don't know what that illusion, that myth is of ever making it or having enough experience. And I think it's something we sometimes have to get thrown into the fire to find out what we're capable of. So that was so God's true. way of being like, you're ready, go do this. And I was like, what, are you sure? Um, so I ended up doing this design for her again, like barely charged her anything. So I was like, oh, we'll just see how this goes. Um, it ended up turning out really, really well. We worked with a great contractor on that and um, yeah, did some pretty major changes to the whole footprint of the kitchen. And um, it was a really neat project. And so at home in Arkansas, local magazine, um, actually ended up picking it up and covering it in an issue. And so that was really, again, just encouraging to me, I guess, having so many doubts ahead of time of going like, Oh, well, I guess, I guess it is good. Then it's like, I knew that, but you're your own worst critic. Sometimes that validation can be very appreciated. (laughs) 
was like, oh, maybe I could do this and then get a few word of route, word of mouth referrals. And then, um, ended up getting invited to do a small room at the designer show house right around that same, with oh, yes. the symphony orchestra. Um, they just had a small bathroom available and I kind of got in at the last minute. And again, it was my first designer show house. And I was learning how this, how you do all of this and learning, wow, designers sponsor their entire rooms. And so I'm sitting here going like, huh, just started a company, barely have a budget. How can I scrappily, you know, on a budget design this room? Yes. Um, so that ended up turning out really fun, despite using again, some really super budget friendly, like even some Ikea resources, but it ended up looking really glamorous and photographing really well. And, um, again, got lots of good feedback about that. That project ended up getting circulated pretty heavily on Pinterest and some blogs that awesome. picked it up. Um, so again, it's like, as I'm starting to get traction, realizing like, even if I'm thinking I can't do this, apparently everyone else thinks I can, yes. <laughs> so maybe I can. <laughs> Maybe so your work is speaking to, for itself at this point. That right. <laughs> and so you start to kind of build that confidence and, um, it was neat. Again, I don't recall ever making the decision of like, I'm going to do this full time. I'm going to build this company. I'm going to have a team. And I just remember thinking like, well, definitely need to make an income. Definitely would love to use my degree and do this. And so I guess as long as I have clients, I'll just kind of one step at a time, kind of see how I can do that. Well, and so at the point I had about three clients, I thought, okay, just from a liability standpoint, now we're beyond friends and family. Like if these are strangers, I just want to make sure this is professional and legal. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, okay, yeah. so I guess I need an LLC. And I know for the designer show house, they required that you had liability insurance. So started getting some insurance quotes, didn't even know how to do that. So there's a lot of Googling and calling around and asking questions. And I remember speaking to a business lawyer in like some Northeastern state at some point that I don't even remember how I read this really great article, um, when I was researching, you know, different business structures between sole proprietor and LLC, and it had a link to contact for questions. And before I know it, I'm talking to this older lawyer gentleman on the East coast, like, hi, I'm in Arkansas. I just loved your article and had this question. And he was like, oh, okay, great. I love it. So you go looking for answers, answers will appear. And so kind of just got the next thing, got my LLC, got the business insurance, got the business license, got the, you know, um, it's actually Jessica's husband and her sons that did some web design. And so when we did the next phase, they hired me back to do some guest bedrooms. And so we ended up trading for my first website. And so before you know it, you have this business. And, um, so it was just kind of funny to catch my breath and look back and be like, Oh, I think this is for real. I think I'm doing this, you know? Yeah. Um, kind of kept, yeah, growing from there. And I think I still held my breath and waited for the other shoe to drop till you get past the five-year mark. Cause you hear all those <laughs> stories about most small businesses fail within the first five years. And so, especially after I got past that point, I was like, I'm, maybe I'm going to make it, you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's just been such a yeah, funny journey of like, I'm the last to know that, Oh, this is working, you know? Yes. So. Oh, amazing. It's, it's funny how that works, isn't it? Yeah. How often the last one to like fully get on board with our own yes. venture. <laughs> I know that's been a really, yeah. Interesting point for me to reflect on my own again. Like, is that low self-esteem? Is that lack of faith in my ability? And what I finally realized is like, it's not having confidence in your God given abilities and the opportunities he's setting before you and the doors he's opening that I learned from all of that. It's like, well, if all of that's lining up and, you know, people are coming to you and you're getting good feedback, I don't need to be living in fear, you know, looking for something to go wrong. And I don't want him to have to shove me through, you know, the door he has open for me. And so I've learned since then to be a lot, um, quicker at faith leaps and have really enjoyed jumping and, you know, 
the fall and realizing that it often takes the leap to then have that next provision appear for you. Um, so that's been, it's been neat to watch my own growth on the personal front that he's challenged and grown me a lot through business actually. So very cool. Very, very cool. Oh, I love to hear that. What a cool story yeah. and of just taking one step at a time, yeah. you know, and it's really brought you a long way at this point. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I just love it. So give me a little bit of insight into what a typical day looks like for you. (laughs) (laughs) Typical day, I say in quotation. Typical. That's a, that's one of the funny things is I laugh all the time, um, at just the variety across days. Some of that may just be anyone who's self-employed and works largely out of the home office. There may just be that variety of every day looks a little different. A lot of it is with residential design because, you know, that's part of the reason I've opted out of having a studio for the time being is partly to reduce overhead so I can keep costs lower. Um, and part of it's for that flexibility to be able to work from anywhere. Um, but a lot of it is because I wouldn't, even if I had a studio, I wouldn't be there eight to, you know, five all day, every day, because largely it involves so many vendors outside of us. And so I'm often at the fabric showroom or running by some of my favorite, you know, local vendors or, you know, the flooring showroom. And so you're kind of, there's like more air and D design days where you're out in the field doing research. There's more meeting days where I'm actually, you know, just at a lot of client meetings or measuring days at clients' homes. Um, and so I would be gone enough that, I've loved having, you know, a home office this whole time, kind of be home-based just from the flexibility and practicality and just the fact that, you know, I end up working kind of from anywhere, depending on the day and what phase we're at with the different projects. So, um, I'd say a typical administrative day where I'm more like getting going in the week, early in the week, um, sometimes on a Monday, sometimes on a Tuesday and kind of, that's more like your yoga pant, maybe working from bed, maybe working from the kitchen table, maybe working from your desk, depending <laughs> on where, because I need that change of scenery to focus for some reason. Love it. Um, and so that's a lot of, again, emails, scheduling, following up, maybe returning some, you know, order update phone calls and, um, just kind of the forecasting for the week, strategic planning yes. side of things. Um, then there's your typical design day. Maybe again, it, Emily and I, she's based out of, um, the river Valley area up in Fort Smith, Van Buren. And so we'll at least once a month, she'll come down here to Little Rock or I'll go up there just depending on what we're working on, but it does help to be, you know, together when we're really cranking out some serious design time, like preparing for presentation. Um, so I always love it whenever she's able to come to town. And so say when we meet up for design days, we might like pick a coffee shop or cafe and like camp out for the day. And we've like got our headphones in our laptops open. We've got, you know, Pinterest and PowerPoint and all the tabs are open that day. And we're just like researching and dropping different options into our design slides and kind of, what do you think of this? Or, Oh, this one is out of stock. Could you find this? And just pinging back and forth off each other. So that's when we kind of like go into the zone and try to not listen to emails or phone calls and just like do the creative work. Um, AutoCAD days. I, so I do all of the drafting still, which again, not something that I could contract out part-time or have some help with, but I secretly love AutoCAD. I just nerd out over the computer programs. So, um, so I still love drafting. So I do that part. And so that may be, again, I'm camped out at home, headphones in, like that helps to focus. Cause I've got all these handwritten measurements in front of me from when we've done these client measuring days. And I'm just like, 
next night. It feels almost like accounting. Like I'm reading off numbers in my mind, like typing with one hand and reading with the other and just kind of sipping coffee and going back and forth, like this little, you know, really technical day. Um, so yeah, it kind of just depends. And then I'll try to batch, like just from an efficiency standpoint, I'll try to batch days where I know I have a lot of errands or meetings so that it's like, okay, if I need to go return some fabric samples at the fabric showroom on my way to this meeting so that I consolidate my days that I'm actually like fully dressed with a full face of makeup and seeing and talking to real people versus days yes. where I'm still getting a lot done, but save time by not putting myself together and having Smart. to leave the house. Smart, smart for it, sure. It really just changes. And so that's, that's the beauty and the curse of it is, you know, being a creative variety really helps me. Like, I think if I did the same thing all day, every day, I would not produce as well. Um, but because of that, if I'm not careful and have good boundaries and try to plan and be efficient intentionally, I can get really scattered and I can, there are those days where unexpected things come up, you know, something got installed wrong in the client's house, something got backordered somewhat, you know? And so if you take all those calls and messages as they come in in real time, you know, three, four hours go by and you're like, oh, what was I doing? And you kind of lost your focus and motivation. So I have to be real intentional about if it's a creative design day, I really need to just let everything wait, let everything else wait a day. If I absolutely can, or again, learn to help delegate. Um, and so, yeah, you do have to be, I guess, harder on yourself in that way of just knowing that that's a big responsibility entrusted to you to have that flexibility of free time. So you have to, again, plan well, even to have your creative looser blocks, you have to kind of block those out and protect them. Um, so always learning how to do that better, but I am um, utilize different programs. I'm a, I'm a Google calendar planner. I'm a, I love the oh, app yes. to doist is one of the apps I use for kind of project management delegation. I have Emily and Forrest on there so I can tag them each in, um, different, you know, assigned tasks and we can leave comments back and forth and, you know, check the box when we're done. Like it's a real it. digital checklist and I'm a very, I love checklists and organizations. So, um, yeah. So through implementing that, it can help, you know, curb the chaos, I guess, that could ensue if I wasn't, you know, if I didn't know how easily that happens and your time just gets taken away from you, if you're not protecting it. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So hearing all of this really, I feel like draws attention to the like required well-roundedness of someone who is in this profession. And so I, I just like hearing, you know, you're doing like going into total creative flowy mode throughout the week. And then you're also going into total number, number measurement mode, and then everything in between in terms of introverting yeah. and extroverting. It, it's so a lot of I think it speaks really highly to your well-roundedness. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate that. That's very kind. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. The Life and Style podcast is produced by Painted Tree Boutiques. With locations across the country, Painted Tree is home to hundreds of local shops, all under one roof. Painted Tree vendors specialize in gifts, decor, fashion, and so much more. For shoppers, it's truly a one-stop gift shop, an experience like no other. And you can feel great about your purchase, knowing that you're supporting a small business. For vendors, owning a shop at Painted Tree is an unbelievable opportunity for growth. Owning your own business is so rewarding, but the cost of opening a brick and mortar store can be staggering when you take it on by yourself. Did you know the average cost of opening a retail store is $100,000? 
the reason Painted Tree was created was to give people with a dream a fighting chance at succeeding. We are passionate about giving dreamers like you the opportunity to do so without the buckling financial risk that comes with it. In this community, we share costs, resources, and wins. To learn more about how you can open a shop inside Painted Tree, visit paintedtree.com slash vendors. Um, so what would be one or two pieces of advice that you would give to um, an aspiring interior designer? Inspiring interior designer. Okay. I would say definitely the more you can immerse yourself in the field. I think some of it comes through absorbing things. I've seen even clients who have developed wonderful eyes and they're always, again, lots of fun to work with because they'll contribute a lot of great ideas or they'll, you know, know what a certain, you know, period style of this. And oh, I want, they have this perfect, they know the lingo. (laughs) Right. And so I think that can be developed by just immersing yourself in it. If you really have a love for it, where at the time it's like, I had a love for it. I didn't understand or have the resources available to know really how to immerse myself in it, you know, 15 years ago. And so, um, that's one that I think that it's never too soon to just, if it's something you love and have a passion for, like get all the magazines, follow all of the relevant Instagram accounts. Like I'm not even saying go watch specific TV shows. It's more about, um, if you have a particular style, especially that you're drawn to like Justina Blakeney would be the the queen of boho right now. Mm. And Target's even just launched a jungle line based off of her book, the jungle, which based off of her house, the jungle. that's a big popular thing on Instagram. And it's like kind of these rising self-made stars, whether they come through social media or their own show, it's kind of like, they are the, I guess, style icons or design icons that my clientele are aware of They're you know, whereas there may be higher end, more well-known by region, you know, um, the designers that have been around a long time and they're the speakers at high point market in the fall. And they're my clients actually maybe don't know those designers they're seeing and being trained by and fed by the styles that you're more picking up on media these days. So I think that's been something that's been super important to, um, almost like a continuing education class that you just get by exposure is just being in the know about, even if you're not a trendy person, it's important to know what's trending and just be aware, just kind of have a pulse on the way that the styles are going and what's coming back in. And, you know, just so that say you did end up getting an internship somewhere that you at least, um, are aware you're not having to start from square one. You actually have immersed yourself in the industry a little bit. Maybe it's that you've researched, you know, the top 20 most popular custom fabric lines. So that when you go to the showroom, you know, who fabric cut is versus, um, you know, Maxwell and why certain ones are better for different uses or have an idea on what is high end or low end pricing for custom fabrics. What, it, you know, just have yeah, a little so kind of get oriented, on. get, get into the culture of everything. Right. It sounds like. Absolutely. So that's something that just, yeah, would be a valuable asset to someone. Like if I was looking to, um, well, I met with a lady actually not long ago who just was interested if we, you know, had any more openings at this time. And, um, I told her, you know, happy to meet with you, hang on to your contact info, but she actually did have a degree from years ago. She's now, um, retiring from a previous job and just kind of wanted to see if part-time she might get back into design since that was originally her degree. But again, it's like, she's done some stuff throughout the years, part-time on her own. And so, um, 
she had already just such a knowledge base of different furniture vendors, different fabric vendors, different, you know, names of different styles. So just kind of that general overview that she would be someone that would like be a quick learner to jump into a day-to-day operations at a firm. Yeah. Okay. That makes total sense. Total sense. Um, that's really valuable. I think for anyone listening who might be interested in jumping into that world. Um, I do actually have, and again, I can mention that later, but one thing that, um, I did end up creating a couple of years ago, realizing there was a need, like if I was too busy and couldn't had to put clients on a wait list and couldn't start for a couple months, still wanted the DIYers, like people who had a love for it and wanted to get their hands in it, um, ended up creating an online course as an alternate service offering. So I actually do have my whole seven step design process now documented and recorded and in an online course that, uh, far we've had like, I think 16 students come through and there's like a student Facebook group where they, you know, can ask questions and show what they're working on. So that's been a really fun, um, additional thing to be able to offer when I've felt bad that if I couldn't get to someone as soon as they needed, but if they wanted to roll up their sleeves and learn to do it, and some people would prefer to do that because they already have an interest in it. Um, that's one thing that I've mentioned to students who've inquired about internship opportunities is like, if I don't have a way, you know, something open right now, this is one way you could you know, Pasco and collect $200 and go ahead and jump ahead totally. to get a lot of that. Cause I kind of took my, you know, degree knowledge and then my industry knowledge and combined all the essentials that I use on a day-to-day basis. That's really distilled down to my design process, everything from how to research and shop online and shop locally and source things and space planning. I go through the whole process oh, in order brilliant. so that it just helps again. Like there's such a gap between people who love it and watch all the TV shows and read all the blogs. And then people who still don't know how to implement that in their own home, or even students who want to fill in that gap of stuff they didn't learn in school that helps them, you know, speed up what they would learn in the field. Um, and so again, while I didn't initially design it for professionals, it really was more for my client base. I've had people who were considering starting something on the side. And one lady who did just start doing something on the side, who again, wanted to go through it just for kind of some groundwork information. And so that's another way that you can, yeah, educate yourself now from the inside track of how one designer does it. Everyone does it a little different, but, um, so far the feedback has been that, yeah, it's been helpful and helped people fill in the gaps and jump ahead and, um, just kind of educate you on the practical way that you can go about from a real comprehensive approach from start to finish to transform. We're we're going to talk about plugging in a bit at the end, but where can somebody find this if they want to Google it? So if you want to Google it, it's called creativeconfidencecourses.com is where um, that course lives. And you can, you know, read about it there and watch an intro video and um, enroll there. And then we run special promotions a few times a year. We ran behind this year, but we'll offer discounts usually a couple of times a year um, for enrollment and do like a free webinar to kind of educate people on it. Um, You can also get to it through my main website. There's a link to the online course now through my main website as well. So, oh, I love that sharing knowledge and resources is kind of becoming its own industry in a way. And I think it's a great way for creative people to support upcoming creative people versus kind of this culture of like more cutthroat competition. I'm, I'm really refreshed by that. Me too. And that's what I wanted to be a part of because again, 15 years ago at the time that I was, you know, going to school, there was just a gap between the educational side of the industry and the everyday people have been doing this for 20 years. It felt like you couldn't jump off this moving train to a safe 
plant like to anywhere that would for one take you if you didn't already have experience like that's a challenging part is you're coming out of school looking for experience and they don't want to hire you unless you have experience and you're like well like okay this (laughs) is like okay but where do I start (laughs) right and so um it did seem like a very I don't know competitive everyone kind of keeping their designer secrets to themselves and kind of a hush hush, like the wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Like, we're not going to tell you how we do our things and our trade secrets, you know? And so you're just going to have to figure them out. But to me, it's like, again, I think it just depends on how you operate and what your priority is. And to me, it's always the end goal of taking care of the client. And part of that is educating the client. Like, why are we specifying this furniture? How long does it hold up? Is it kid and pet friendly fabric? Is it like you need to be sharing you know, to an extent, um, just to make sure that you're doing your job well and delivering, you know, uniquely what that client needs and what that project is going to demand. Um, so I've definitely been more in the culture of like trying to share, you know, however, and whenever I can to just equip and educate, because what I found is there's room for all of us. Like, you know, if you set out to do something and you're meant to do that, I just don't think people are ever going to steal or take those opportunities from you. I think that, you know, the right doors are going to open and you're not going to miss what's meant for you. And so I think when you can, again, share and have a more collaborative approach, um, there's room for everyone in the market who wants to be there, I think. So absolutely not to mention the things that you can't foresee that are going to come from collaborating with other people, you know, from, from offering of yourself to other people, a lot of times there are going to be awesome opportunities that come up. So, I mean, whatever angle you look at it, I'm just all for community over competition fully. And I love, I love where you're at with that and what you're doing with it. So, yeah. Um, Okay. So this is kind of going to be like a quick sort of thing where I'm going to tell you a room and then I want to hear one or two, like just tips of advice that you maybe have learned about Mm. from working in certain rooms. Okay. Absolutely. This is just for the everyday person. Who's like, how can I improve this space? Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. What about a living room? in a living room, you always want to think of the use of the space. I would say from when you're walking in the room, like picture you're a guest in the house, like when you're walking in, how do you create a layout is where I would start that feels inviting and hospitable and welcoming. Um, a lot of times things that do not accomplish that and work against that would be you walk right into the back of a sofa or you have the heaviest, biggest, chunkiest bookcase, like right as you walk around the corner and it kind of jumps out at you and feels like it's towering over you. And it can feel just visually a little bit heavier, closed off. It's weird how our bodies even subconsciously pick up on cues within a space. And that kind of has to do with, again, the feng shui of things of just what subconsciously creates welcome. And so that can be tricky depending on in a living room, if it's a multifunctional of like, I need the TV to be the focal point and also the fireplace to be the focal point that can cause some challenges. And sometimes you have to pick which one is more important, but anytime that you can lay out a living room where you walk in and you see the focal wall, you know, even if it's on the side, like parallel, if it's not front and center, but where you kind of already have a very obvious opening into the traffic path around the coffee table or to you know, a comfy chair or something where you walk right in and it's just spatially, your eyes feel like it's open. It's easily accessible. I know where to go. It's not creating an awkward, like feeding you off into the kitchen right away or something. Yeah. Okay. That I always focus in living rooms on kind of like the big hug, like welcome. And so it may be that, yeah, just making sure it's open visually and actually. And, um, another trick for living rooms is to make sure there's kind of a 
I don't know, almost like a circular element to the conversation area. Sometimes that's an actual circle or oval coffee table. Sometimes it's that the way the sofa and maybe two chairs flank it kind of turn in, but something, something about circles creates more conversation. I don't know what that is, but it's less, you're not just like seeing someone on your sharp angled peripherals. You're kind of like, oh, huh. that makes sense. Cause I feel like whenever it's like super angular, that might just feel more like a boardroom meeting type of setting. Exactly. And you kind of have to turn your whole body to look at someone. So if you can ever have, again, I love using swivel chairs in living rooms because you can kind of tilt and float. You have a little bit of whimsy with a rocking motion maybe, but that's another great solution for I'm looking at the TV and now I'm looking directly at you and you have some mobility there. So that can also be a way to kind of break up right angles and create a little bit of softness to just even the conversational area of a living space. Oh, love it. Love it. Okay. What about a kitchen? Ooh, kitchens have become such like the heart of the home. It's amazing. As much as I just said all that about make your living rooms inviting people gravitate to the kitchen so much that if you have, um, again, I would say the key things in a kitchen to just that you can very quickly create just a better experience without having to redo all your finish and all that, um, is really from the functional standpoint from the space plan. And so it's utilizing, you know, making sure if you've got a bar, you've got the right height of bar stools. I see a lot of, um, you know, high bars, but with counter height stools or vice mm. versa, maybe someone got the tall bar stools accidentally for counter height bar. And so it's like, your legs are squished up there or it's not, you know, it's not actually comfortable to sit in. Um, so making sure that that is suited almost as a second living room, that it does have comfy places to sit. I love when there is space to create a little breakfast nook and some bar seating so that when you're hosting and entertaining, you kind of have a couple of, you know, conversation areas going on within the kitchen that make it more lively. And if you're the one in there cooking, you can still have everyone in there with you. Um, another way, if you're looking to just kind of upgrade it from a style standpoint without, you know, remodeling everything is, um, it's hard because again, you don't get as much furniture in a kitchen, but even little touches like a fun, colorful runner, instead of your standard kitchen mats, um, you go to, you know, bed, bath and beyond target anywhere you see the kitchen mats and it's the little two by three, right by the sink. But it's really fun if you can get say a good indoor outdoor runner. So it's great for, again, wet areas, easy to clean. Um, they're usually reversible, but those usually come in like a two and a half by eight foot size, which typically runs a length of like your sink bank of cabinets in between an Island. So that can add some softness, a pop of fun color or pattern. And just again, make it more warm and cozy and personalized. Um, if you can find like little ways to tie in things like that. Oh, so good. So good. Okay. What about bathroom? Ooh, bathroom. I always think again, it's a room that you can't fit as much furniture in. Cause it's more about the fixtures. Um, any way that you can create a peaceful environment. I think if it's your everyday use bathroom, say your master bathroom, because that's where you're starting the day and ending the day. And those are the two most tired points of the day for most people. You're waking <laughs> so up, you're true. coming to you're looking through half glazed eyes, sipping coffee, brushing your teeth, or again, reverse end of the day, same thing, just trying to make it to bed. So any way yes. that you can create, I like to think of it as like a hotel atmosphere. Everyone loves when you go to a hotel bathroom because the little white towels are all rolled up and tucked this way. And, you know, you've just got your little amenities and it just feels, you feel very taken care of in a sense. You feel very held in that oh, space. Yes. However yes. they create hospitality. So if you can create that for yourself, maybe it is having, you know, white fluffy linen towel, you know, your white fluffy towels displayed on a little shelf, or again, having just a little succulent plant in the corner by the soap dish, something to just liven it up, soften it up. 
Um, if there's space in the footprint, I always love adding a garden stool, like a little ceramic garden stool or those wood side tables that can just say you pull it up by the bathtub and it can just hold a little candle or be a place to set your coffee or just again, a little landing pad almost. Um, if it's your powder bathroom, like a half bathroom or guest bathroom, those can be more wild and fun and colorful. Cause it's kind of this jewel box, you know, you're not in there for long periods of time. And so that can be a place to do some funky art or just something kind of unexpected. That's going to be, you know, a fun experience when you have guests over and they're like, Oh, I love that painting in the bathroom. We're like, wow, you wallpapered the ceiling. That's so cool. <laughs> you know, just yes. something kind of fun and unexpected. Cause it's a small space usually when it's a half bath. And so, um, you can afford to go, you know, a little more outside, even the style of the rest of the home and just make it, you know, kind of a talking point. So, Oh, so good. I love it. Okay. Bedroom. Ooh. Okay. Bedroom. I too. And again, maybe this is just why I like traveling. I still tend to think of hotels and I'm every time that I'm starting a client project with a bedroom that again, some of the key things I notice is they maybe just have the shams that came with the sheets, or they maybe just have the matching shams that came with the coverlet, but they don't have like any accent pillows where you create again, layers and depth and add more color. Um, so that can be a quick fix. I would say new bed pillows. I mean, even if you just, you can inexpensively go to home goods and they have the good quality ones with the down feathers are a lot easier they're to shape. So soft, the home good ones. They're I'm so, so impressed. <laughs> and they're really reasonable. So like, a quick way you could dress up, you know, a master bedroom is like get another, like a contrasting color or pattern coverlet at the end of the bed to fold back. Um, well, kind of like I have this little blanket uh-huh, here at the yes, end of my I bed, see. but something that just creates a little pattern and color and extra layer at the foot of the bed and then get two or three accent pillows that really pop against the matching sham set. And that helps it feel a little more custom. Um, it makes it more fun to make the bed. Cause then you walk in and kind of see this arrangement that again, adds style and personality to it. And I also think it's awesome. If you have space to put a little bench at the end of the bed, a lot of times that can be a great hidden storage space. Storage benches are great there for again, place to store your pillows or extra blankets or throw stuff, you know, someone's coming over and you just need to like chunk all of your kids (laughs) toys in there. can be a really great spot. And again, just adds a softness to it. And just kind of, I don't know, there's something very visually pleasing. And I think creates a sense of safety about bookending things. And so having a bench at the end of the bed, if you have space for it, it's a nice, just way to kind of cap that off gives you again, a little landing pad, a place to sit down, put your shoes on and gives it kind of a luxurious look without, you know, being pretentious. So I love that you, you said a sense of safety. That's like speaking my language. Mm -hmm. I think it's an Enneagram nine thing, but I, I am so drawn to anything that like brings that feeling of security and safety. And like, I am so set in this atmosphere and like, it makes total sense. I've never thought about like the bench at the end of the bed. It really does serve that purpose. It somehow just makes everything feel set and nice. It feels like a punctuation, you know, at the end of a sentence, it's just like, oh, okay. This feels like I'm not going anywhere. Nothing's rolling off the bed. Like I know where this ends and begins. It just defines things. Um, I think the other thing that would do that too, in a bedroom would be a rug. Even if you have a carpeted bedroom, um, some people think, oh, I have carpet. I don't need a rug. Well, it's not really about that. It's about defining your bed. It's like setting, it's setting that off so that visually you kind of have that designated focal point of the room is the bed arrangement. And so again, it adds balance, color, softness, and just kind of helps define that space. Um, kind of like using a charger under a dinner plate. It just kind of, mm. I don't know, ties it together, creates extra, you know, solidifies it in a way. So yeah. 
Yeah. Love that makes doing that as sense. well. It keeps it from feeling like the bed's just kind of floating on a long vast wall. Your eye, it kind of anchors things visually. Yes. Okay. I love it. I love it. And then last one is dining room. Ooh, dining rooms. Okay. I think dining rooms, what helps those feel really grounded and extra pleasing is if you have a, um, like a console or a buffet rather than like the tall China cabinets if possible. And again, I'm seeing a shift from that. If we've, you know, I still have a ton of, um, China and my grandmother's been giving me a lot of her silver and like, it's where do you display these things? And do you want all this out on display in a big China cabinet? If not, if you can go more minimal and maybe store some of that elsewhere and just go with a more simplified console, that's going to, again, dining rooms tend to be smaller spaces. So it can feel a little visually overwhelming to see all these tall chairs around a table and then this tall chest, and it can feel a lot of right angles, a lot of heavy cased goods, and there's not softness and there's not enough space to walk around it for one thing, usually. So it can be, um, more welcoming to just do like a lower cased good that you can like put some lamps and some art or a mirror above it. That just creates again, a visual focal point and landing space that feels almost more like what you would put in an entryway setup. Mm -hmm. So it just, it's a little more grounding and a lot easier to navigate, you know, walking around the table. Um, rugs in there is another thing. I see a lot of people avoid rugs because again, it's an afterthought or they have kids and dogs and they don't want things spilling on your rugs, which I do totally get, but I will say dining rooms again, if, if you don't have any soft goods in there, it's very echoey. It's very scratchy and loud. And so rugs are a great acoustic buffer that uh, absorb a lot of sound. Um, it's going to minimize sound when you're moving chairs and there's lots of great, again, kid-friendly indoor, outdoor options, washable options. Now that to me, it's worth it, not just from the style side of bringing in some color and pattern, but functionally to just make it feel softer and more welcoming. And again, set off that table, create some contrast between say you have hardwood floors and a hardwood table and chairs, everything's wood and it feels dark and heavy. So to be able to break that up visually and add some softness really goes a long way. Mm, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, okay. Those were amazing. You were so good at on the cuff. Just like oh, you had so you. many tidbits for each room. I'm thoroughly impressed. Um, oh, loved that. So tell me how you would describe your style and then also how kind of expressing yourself through style adds value to your life. Mm -hmm. Ooh, adds value to my life. I like this question. It's very deep. <laughs> My style, I would describe as I wrestled with this one a lot. Cause I like a lot of things. So I think the best summary would be eclectic, mm -hmm. um, because that helps you bridge the gap between old and new. You see a lot of, um, nostalgia. You see a lot of, again, antiques brought into that some older pieces with stories or some cool, funky thing you picked up on a trip. And then you see new brought in to counter that because it was something that just sparked joy within you when you were at anthropology that day. And so you really can blend styles so well, and it's less about it fitting a certain look as it is about telling your story and bringing your joy. Mm -hmm. So I'd say yeah. we do we work in that style a lot, not because people come to me and say, my style is so eclectic. It's just, you get a lot of people who want to tell their stories. And to me, I think eclectic does that better than just my story is this is a modern space and that is all. And everything is modern and everything came from the same store. And that, you know, like, we are all complex <laughs> human beings. So yeah, our, it makes like, sense for design I to reflect see, that. Right. I see that encompassing a lot more people's styles. I think a variation of that that would also be representative of my style would be bohemian. Um, and that's typically because you see lots of textures and colors and plants for one thing. And I am a proud plant mom as well. And love it. Love it. I will send you a picture later of my pride and joy, Frederick, the little leaf fig tree. Oh, please do. Please he do. Is 
he is my favorite. He gives me hope. Um, <laughs> so I didn't know that I could keep him alive this long. He's been thriving for golly going on six years. So oh, amazing. Uh, but you see a lot of plants in bohemian styles as well. And so somewhere between eclectic and bohemian would likely be kind of the places I live. And I think a lot of that is they're really happy styles. They're very colorful and usually pretty energetic. And, um, that tends to just go with my personality as well. And I really think that our styles tend to be reflections of our personality. Um, and so that's kind of, yeah, that's pretty much how I describe it, but I, I love so many things. And that's the hard thing about, I love different things from every client's project that then I'm like, okay, if I could just take the best of all these and build my dream house, I don't know what we'd call that, but <laughs> it would likely be eclectic just because again, that that's a good umbrella for things that kind of break the rules and don't have to follow a certain, you know, re reason. And, um, so yeah, that's probably now remind me the end of. And so the, the second part is how do you feel like expressing yourself creatively through style adds value to your life? Mm, okay. Golly. It's <laughs> a big value. One. It adds for one would just be joy. Um, I just get so much joy out of Again, it's, it's watching the end result too, or even just throughout the process of a lot of it's the design and style, but a lot of it's helping people where there really is a need. I think coming into the field, I thought, well, you know, people probably know what they want in their home. They could probably do this. I don't want to come in here and insert my style and knowledge. But when I come on a project, I'm realizing like they are stressed out and overwhelmed. And like, I've been trying, I can't do this. Nothing's the right size. I keep having to return things. I don't know what I'm doing. And so to know like, oh, there is value to what I'm bringing that I can help alleviate stress and be a guide and help yes. bring peace to a space and bring, you know, joy from a space to that client and watching how that improves their life. And just even the process, making it less stressful and eliminating a lot of unnecessary options and noise that had been overwhelming them and bringing them the best three options and letting them pick like that to watch that, I think adds so much joy to my life because I love fulfilling that purpose of serving others in that way. Like knowing that my creative gifts add value to people's lives where there really is a need that it does produce, um, positive long-term results just yeah, it really absolutely makes you feel like you're making a difference, which I think I didn't understand that going into it, thinking of it as an industry. I always pictured again, furnishings and decor, having a very materialistic aspect to them of like, I'm not saving lives. This isn't, you know, gonna change anyone's tomorrow. Like this is all stuff you're buying from the store. And it's, it is so much deeper and more complex oh and beautiful than that, because our spaces really do matter. I mean, they affect our mental well-being, our emotional state, like again, senses of profoundly safety, senses yes. of welcome, yes. senses of peace. Like we help create that through how we choose to sometimes we're just editing spaces. Sometimes people have a lot of great stuff, but they overwhelm themselves, you know, not knowing how to let go of certain things or where to place things. Like sometimes all you need is just editing what you already have. And that can bring about, you know, the environment that you need to thrive your best. And so I think that adds to, yeah, my joy levels for sure. Just cause I love helping make a difference and bringing joy to others brings me joy too. So amazing. Amazing. Yeah. It, I mean, it is really just profound how much of an impact the atmosphere yeah. that I'm in throughout the day yeah. affects not only my mood, but my productivity Absolutely. and, you know, choices that I make throughout my day. Like it, it is yeah. I can't even like, it can't be overstated the impact Absolutely. that it has on me mentally, Absolutely. physically, emotionally, spiritually. It is, it is so, so significant. It's so true. I'm glad you don't understand because sometimes people don't 
know it until they experience it. And then they're like, I love coming home now. It used to stress me out to be in this room. Like I tried to avoid this room in my own house and I didn't even realize it was because of the clutter or the maroon wall color or whatever it is that again, your body will do things subconsciously that you'll like block out and not deal with because it's overwhelmed or overstimulated. And so when suddenly you realize that environment has shifted and therefore the way you relate to that environment has shifted and improved, it's like you want to be in your own house or you create better in your own house, or you end up entertaining people more in your own house because yes, you can yes. and you want to. And so it really does affect, yeah, your quality of life. So, and I do think it's worth noting that even if you're in a space, like if you're in a space that does not have a positive impact on your well-being right now, it can change. It can feel like it cannot, but right. it can, like it, it does, you're not stuck in that rut necessarily. Right. And that's what I always tell people is like, you know, I've come on the scene of projects where like, yeah, I moved in four years ago and just couldn't decide what to hang on the wall and didn't want to do anything until we knew we'd love it. And I, I think I've been saying the online course, I'm like, if you just need a placeholder for a minute and you're putting up some old photos or something you found in a garage sale, like go ahead and just put something there. Like, even if it's temporary, it's a tiny nail hole. You can change later when you change your mind or when you can do it, when you can afford to do it, how you want to do it. Or what most of my clients, just from a practicality standpoint, they'll do it in phases over time. So we might create the whole plan, but then maybe it's like this month, they buy the pillows and the rug and next month they buy the bar stools and that, you know, you can make it fit with your lifestyle. That doesn't mean you just, you can't afford it. And you might as well not start like do what because who you are right now matters too. It's worth taking care of yourself. the right now version of yourself. Yes. It'll help you get to the next levels of yourself. So I always like to see, I mean, I golly, I was wrestling with what to put over the sofa for the longest time and finally realized I want to do a map print. And I, again, haven't had the time or budget to get it custom framed yet. And it's a pretty big vintage map. So that's just likely going to be a Christmas present that I get to. And I was like, well, son of a gun, I'm not going to sit here and stare at this empty wall. I'm going to, you know, push pin this sucker into my sheetrock. And I have this map just push pinned above my sofa right now. Um, And it brings me much joy. And it's so much better than walking in and going, there is a empty vast void on my wall. (laughs) Like, you know, so do what you can with what you have now, knowing that it doesn't have to be permanent. You can adjust, you know, when you can realize that dream or that goal, but just start with what you do have or little changes you can make. And it's amazing how much that really can add such a positive impact on your day. So Mm, I love it all about it. Um, okay. So what are, one or two rituals in your day that you feel are most important for your mental health. Mm, Coffee would be one. And some of (laughs) it's that I do just love coffee, but it is, it's the ritual is what I've found about it. It's the waking up, starting coffee maker, getting out my creamers. It's kind of the whole process, the smell, the pouring, the stirring, the cinnamon on top. It's just like that process is just the morning ritual. Um, I also go crack the windows by Frederick because I close them at night to tuck them in. <laughs> and then I crack the blinds <laughs> to tuck them in certain lighting levels throughout the day. And so I'll go open Frederick's blinds and tell him good morning because I love you it. Know, they say, you know, some people think you're weird for talking to plants, but studies have shown that they actually respond to positive conversations. So plants are people too. <laughs> they are. So I'll go whisper sweet nothings to Frederick in the morning and let him know. <laughs> um, Yeah. So that would be one is kind of that little morning ritual. The other thing that, again, it's like, I had been different seasons. I'm better at this. 
I guess you'd call it a ritual, but I love like having a morning devotional time, like having a little quiet time. Um, I carry this basket around. I call my book basket and it's got my Bible and my journal and, you know, the book that I'm reading and lots of different colors of pins. And it's kind of, I cart my book basket around with me just in case if I don't have time to read in the morning, that's just something that at some point during the day, again, some days I get five minutes, some days I get a whole hour. It just depends kind of on, again, how I've protected my time, what's come up for that day. Um, but I'm just a big believer in, I mean, for one Jesus, but it's like through that time, I've noticed, like, I don't know. I just think it's for one, it's an act of self-care to set aside that time, you know, no matter what you believe, if it's just that you're journaling or you're doing a meditation or listening to soft music for five minutes, something where you're just setting aside that time to nourish your soul in a way. So for me, it is reading the Bible and journaling out again, anything that jumps out at me, which so often it's like a certain verse I needed to hear that day or like something I'd just been praying about or wrestling with. And it's like, it's kind of eating. I call it like my other breakfast. It's kind of ingesting something that feeds me in a different way that for me is so important that I notice a difference in how I go about throughout the day, whether I have, you know, had that time or not. So Mm -hmm. that's also very important to me and really, really, yeah. Love that time. I think, I think that you're spot on with that. And I see that in my own life too, when I mm-hmm. am not prioritizing moments yeah. of stillness, whatever that yeah. may look like. Right. I mean, it's just so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day craziness, it whatever gets- it looks like. It's so easy to be consumed by it and it will consume yeah. you if you let it. Like there's right. no, no one's going to make you take that time, right. but it is so well worth it. And not only for your own benefit, but for the people around you. Absolutely. To prioritize that time. I've, I've been learning that the hard way yeah. by not yeah. doing that well for a long time. Yeah. There's a difference in how I engage with people. It's like, if I've just read about grace that morning, I'm likely to recall that and be more gracious to people throughout the day, you know? And so I do see like a direct effect on, yeah, everything. So absolutely. Yes. So what is a key piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? If you could. Oh, my younger self. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tell her a lot of things. I would hand her all of my journals out of my book basket and be like, girl, got no, um, yeah, I think I would have told her to be more confident, um, that that is not, I think I grew up with some lies impressed on me that being confident or, um, doing things you love or being happy, even that those were all very selfish pursuits in some regard. And so I think that kept me more timid and fearful thinking, oh, well, I'm being humble or, oh, well, I'm letting others go first, or I'm not taking up so much space and being, you know, the best idea in the room. And so kind of allowed that to hold me back in some ways. So I think mm-hmm. I would have told her that, um, it is so good to know your worth and your value. And it is so good to speak up. You have good, beautiful things on your heart and the world needs the gifts that God gave you. You need to go use them and you need to be confident about using them. And no, that's not going to be done perfectly, but you're never going to learn along the way if you don't get started. <laughs> so yes. I think I would have pushed myself out of the nest a little sooner in regards to having faith and taking chances and just enjoying it rather than bracing myself for the fallout or the backlash or the other shoe to drop and just had more faith and more grace for myself. Um, yeah. And just I think gone into things more confidently rather than drawn back in fear. Um, mm-hmm. And one of my favorite verses talks about how we're not those who draw back in fear, but, but we're those who have faith and obtain life. And so I think it would have pushed me towards life uh, more abundantly, more full, more s- soon, I guess, without as much of the stress I likely put myself through. So, oh, so beautiful and powerful. And I feel like that's something that s- resonates with so mm-hmm. many people. Um, so thank you for sharing yeah, that. Welcome. 
So what makes you feel like the best version of yourself? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh goodness. Um, the best version of myself that can have so many layers, like again, from a holistic standpoint (laughs) to just on the surface level, the best version of myself are the days I am, you know, showered, have all the makeup, have on real clothes, put together, like charging out into the day. That's why that I feel, yeah, put together and empowered those days. Um, on a soul level, again, I think it's when I know that I have been tending to myself responsibly when it comes to self-care, because that actually then has results in how I engage the world around me. And so I know I'm the best version of myself. I know that I'm kinder and more gentle and more gracious when I have been, you know, self-reflective and feeding my mind and soul on good things rather than depressing, fearful things. Like I have to find that balance of, um, not being weighed down by the world. And that doesn't mean turning a blind eye to things, but that means being able to hold things, I think, um, dualistically where you can acknowledge suffering and sadness and things that are not right while also acknowledging that there is still much good and seeing what you can do to bring more of that, um, as you go about the day and engage people and look for opportunities to love people well. Um, so I think that starts with, again, me being in the right frame of mind and having set aside that time and keeping my priorities straight where everything is within balance, that mind, body, soul can all be aligned. Um, that I know that I'm out there loving people the best that I can when I'm coming from that place of, again, making sure that I'm not running so ragged and depleted and, um, you know, not refilling and refueling with things that, you know, make me the most healthy, well-rounded person. Um, Mm -hmm. I I'm a big believer in therapy. I have a wonderful therapist that I've worked with, gosh, I guess a year now that I meet with probably once or twice a month. And, um, she's also a spiritual director. She's just, and she's also an author. Like I just learn a lot from her. So even if you're not dealing with, again, any particular stressful, heavy problem in your life, which again, we all have those. <laughs> I've had my bout of them in the last year, even, but, um, I've continued to work with her just knowing like, that's something that continues to be a positive life-giving source in my life of someone wise that I can, um, you know, have as a sounding board. And so much she often recommends like great books or podcasts or things that may speak specifically to something that I'm dealing with or a question I'm wrestling with. And so I think, you know, when we can invest in our personal growth, that again, helps us, you know, feel confident in how we can then go help lift others up as well. So, mm, so good. I love, one, I love asking this question because yeah. I feel like, the, again, there are so many different directions that it can go. But one thing that I feel like is kind of this common thread that I keep seeing come up is the word alignment and finding mm-hmm. this connection between what you yep. believe and yep. how you are living. And I feel like that concept is is totally life-changing when you realize yep. the importance of aligning your values and your beliefs yes. with your actions. That's how you're living um, that out. Absolutely. Yes. And like really doing the work that is involved in figuring out how to make that a reality because it's not always easy, but it's it's so fulfilling. But it's, that's the challenge and the growth of learning. Like, how am I going to live this out? Even if it's hard, even if I get flack for it, even if I don't know what I'm doing, because this is new for me, um, doing the best you can. Yeah. To live in alignment, it relieves a weight and a burden. Um, yeah. Of management is what I've realized. I think 
I was a perfectionist for a lot of my life. And as a recovering perfectionist, I think I realized I was often trying to manage outcomes and manage other people's emotions, manage other people's perceptions. And all of that was with this heart of just wanting everyone to be happy and wanting to be liked and loved and wanting, you know, to not rock the boat. And it's like, those are all that those aren't wrong aspirations, but to realize you're just one person, you're not God. And you're also not responsible for other people's emotions and actions. And so if all you can do is tend to you, like your challenge is to learn how to live in alignment and, you know, walk in truth of, to the best of the extent of what, you know, and to live honestly, um, and then kind of let the chips fall where they may from that. And that'll often reveal who your true friends are and who can love and accept you for who you are and what you believe versus having to, you know, feel like you're even putting up pretenses at all to, again, try to please everybody. So, oh, so good. I love it. I love it. So tell me what are some of your favorite social media accounts to follow and podcasts to listen to? Oh, goodness gracious. (laughs) Read that question more. Um, (laughs) social media accounts. I always love Angela Rose home. She's a really vibrant, fun personality. And I love that she ended up doing a lot of DIY projects on her home. She now has a really big following and does all sorts of fun DIY projects, but, um, she'd gone through a lot of things personally that she needed an outlet, kind of a creative outlet. And so that's when she started teaching, she bought some power tools and taught herself woodworking and taught, you know, it was just self-taught and now has been renovating her whole home a room at a time. And, um, just has a really good energy, really good positive outlook. So I always look forward to her post. She's a really fun one. Um, who else would be on there? Well, KJ Ramsey is one from the, again, like soul, soul filling side. She's, um, has just a bunch of wonderful posts that have to do with kind of mind, body, spirit, and that intersection of, um, faith and our humanity. And kind of, again, I think, her, her posts have been really helpful for me because she sees things so much through the lens of grace and your day in day out and how to be gracious and kind to yourself through the struggle, through the pains of everyday life. Um, so I always look there for encouragement and inspiration as well. Really love her stuff. And, um, who else on the design side of things, golly. Well, I do always love Justina Blakeney. I know I mentioned her from the eclectic style, but, um, because of that, her account is always full with, yeah, tons of plants colorful tile, just, you know, neat pottery and ceramics. And just really, it's a fun, creative, um, colorful account to follow. So those would be a few that just came to mind. So awesome. Awesome. Okay. So it is time for the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm going to start the sentence and you're going to finish it. And we're going to go through quite a few here. Okay. Let's do it. The color I wear most often is turquoise kind of an aqua turquoise, kind of like the color of my speaker here, but it's in my company logo and I cannot stay away from it. Once I let it into my life, it ended up on everything. It took over my logo. It's in my purse. It's on my water bottle. Literally just like with you sitting here on the zoom call, you had three things you could reach like within reach. Yeah. Yeah, Oh my goodness. I love it. Uh, my favorite book is (sighs) I already mentioned the Bible, but within that Isaiah, I think is my favorite book of the Bible. Lots of good gems there. Lots of things that are just so relevant, even though it was written so long ago, I read it and I'm like, this is happening in my life. It's amazing. Um, as far as another author, I really have enjoyed Paul David Tripp. Um, he wrote a book called awe that was really, I don't know, that was really pivotal to just answering a lot of questions I'd wrestled with. I think more in my twenties, kind of this, why are we here and who are we and why do I feel this discontent and restlessness in my soul? And what is it that I'm after? And why can't I ever be happy? No matter how many things that I 
do that should make me happy. Um, he just gets to the foundation of kind of heart matters and mm. just my perspective there. That was just really eye-opening in a lot of ways that made me go, Oh, this is the, the problem with the human condition. And this is why, you know, you look in these places and your heart will never be content fully. And, uh, I don't know, it was a really good one. It was a short read and I'm a slow reader as much as I love reading. It was a very easy to digest short read. So it was a bright yellow chartreuse front book looked like an A-frame house just called off. So yeah, that was a really, really good one. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, my favorite breakfast food is <laughs> breakfast is my favorite uh, meal of the day and I could eat it all day long. So usually something to do with proteinies. I love sausage, turkey, bacon, scrambled eggs, something that's going to be really filling, um, paired with, you know, you got your savory, you need a little sweet. So maybe with like, you know, a protein waffle or pancake. I love that. Um, Kodiak mix, Kodiak pancakes. I've you heard get such good things about it and I still haven't had it. Protein <laughs> pancakes, super easy, but yeah, I, my favorite breakfast places are the ones where you can go get the sampler platter and you get like six things like Cracker Barrel or yes. Waffle House. And you're like, I want to try a little bit of everything. I'm so the same way. I love breakfast food, but I always feel like I'm missing out because there are too many good options. Too many good <laughs> options. So yeah, I don't, you know, do something quite that elaborate every day. Um, but yeah, in a pinch, I will make, um, a little Trader Joe's smoke salmon toast or bagel where I do like a little Greek yogurt on a piece of toast, maybe a layer of spinach and avocado, and then some smoked salmon on top. It's a good, like healthy, savory breakfast. So awesome. Awesome. Uh, my favorite app on my phone is Instagram. <laughs> it's love just it. my go-to. I just love the pictures. Um, yeah, such a visual app. So, and great for networking and connecting. I feel like it's a neat, a really engaged community there. So totally my favorite outfit I've ever worn is Oh my, maybe my senior prom dress. <laughs> really? Which my styles changed to the years, but it was this gorgeous bell style skirt, peach, peachy coral, sequins and pearls, just the tufted skirt. It was just oh. kind of my little Disney princess dream dress that I finally got to realize, I guess, at senior prom. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, <laughs> amazing. You know, amazing. Not your everyday outfit, but it yeah. was a really special one. So, oh, that's awesome. Uh, when I was little, I wanted to be oh, Belle and Robin Hood. <laughs> I love that combination. That's amazing. That was my favorite Disney princess, likely because of the bell shaped dress, the yellow dress. Yellow is my favorite color and Robin hood. Cause man, what a beast. Like he just right? was not afraid of anything. And he was, uh, yeah, loved Robin hood. That was one of my favorite Disney movies growing up. And my mom even, you know, made me a whole Robin hood costume with like green felt and the feather in the cap. And, uh, my older sister, Rachel would be made Marion and I'd pretend to be Robin hood. Yeah. So he was one of my childhood heroes. <laughs> oh, love it. Love it. Uh, my favorite place I've ever been is Florence, Italy, I think. Yeah. Italy in general, but I did live in Florence for a month, uh, for study abroad program at the end of school. And it's just one of those, yeah. Has the special place in my heart now that, um, yeah, I have missed ever, ever since then. It just felt like its own little home away from home. So mm, how cool, yeah. how cool. Um, the best piece of advice that I've ever received was <sighs> how to measure the success of a day. This helped me in my overcoming my task orientedness and lopsided perspective. When I used to be a lot more in the business hustle mindset, rather than understanding the balance with grace and an overall arching purpose of why we're here. Um, it was actually one of our clients turns turned friends as that often happens. Um, Parker Woodruff actually 
was talking to his wife, Rachel, and we were talking about how similar we were of being very task oriented and kind of beating ourselves up if we didn't cross everything off at the end of the day and felt like we didn't have a successful day and just talking, you know, sharing these grievances of like being kind of goal oriented like that. And Parker said something really profound that has stuck with me. And after that, I noticed like a visible shift in how I saw the world and people in it and the day-to-day basis that really just has trickled into every aspect of my life now. So I would count it as, yeah, one of the best piece of advice ever given. Um, but he said, I have to measure the success of a day by asking myself this question. I get to the end of the day and I ask myself, did I love everyone that God put in my path today? Well, and if I can say yes, then it was a successful day. And I got chills and I went, that's it. There it is. That would, that would shift everything. If you could slow down and just see people and realize that if they're in your path, if you get a chance to encounter them, that is a gift. And you can use that opportunity for good to leave any sort of impact, to leave people better than you found them, to love them, even in small ways, a smile, a compliment, just kindness or warmth, um, that you can take time to do that and slow down. And that, that, and I think the way that we're made and wired for community and connection is going to have direct positive results on everything else you're doing that day. And so as I started taking on that perspective, it was wild how, even while I might've thought that it ate up more time, like my task was got thrown off or I didn't get it. You know, I ended up having coffee for two hours with a friend who needed to talk instead of, you know, getting in the CAD work or whatever it was, but to take those pauses and realize those, that's, what's going to have these long-term impacts in people's lives of building better people, not just yeah. better houses that really, um, I think started producing different kind of fruit in my own life that I realized, Oh my goodness, this, I don't want to just run about every day as though it's a race or a task list. I want to see the people and see the joy and see the gifts in that and contribute back to that. And so it really did just, I think that's the most practical piece of advice that has I've seen bear the most fruit kind of in an everyday way that again, has trickled through business and personal. So mm-hmm. really love that. Incredibly powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, My favorite role model is my dad. (laughs) Oh, Barry Jones. He is. Yeah, he is, uh, you know, been my other hero besides Robin Hood, Indiana Jones. (laughs) I love Uh, it. He can do everything. I mean, he's just, yeah, he is just such a wise, kind, gentle soul that he's just kind of the um, measure that I look up to here of like, if I need to know like a grounded piece of wisdom or someone's input or advice. It's like, I just think dad would know, or like, if dad would do this, then I should do this. Or like, well, if dad wouldn't do that. I probably shouldn't do that. Like, he's just a very like frame of reference, like yeah, respect oh. so much as like a good, again, pulse on kind of just practical wisdom and, um, kindness and servant heartedness. He's just, he's just, yeah. One of my favorite people. So I've always wanted to be more like my dad. I love that. I love that. Um, what are you learning about right now? Man, that is such a great question. I love learning. So I'm often, um, yeah, learning lots of things at once. I will say one thing I've been learning that, uh, was started the conversation with my therapist. And then she referred me to a podcast that's elaborated on it, um, even more. And it's, uh, talking about the polyvagal theory and our autonomic nervous system. And it helps again, super scientific things that I was like, Oh, these are big words, but I watched (laughs) video explaining it. She sent me and, um, have researched more about it. And it's been fascinating. Um, again, I've talked about a lot about, like you said, alignment of mind, body, spirit. And so it kind of, for me, connects the dots between, why, when I have this knowledge or I have this aspiration, or I've done this work and I know this is how I want to be or respond in this situation, but then 
I'm triggered and I panic or something really throws me off or sends me in these spirals or kind of old patterns of thinking. Why is that? And so it explains a lot about how our nervous systems, again, are on autopilot and we learn patterns from as early on as childhood of kind of how to survive, like your fight or flight modes or your paralyzed mode. Um, so it just kind of explains how, when we're, you know, operating from the top rung of the ladder, essentially of our nervous system, um, how we can actually have the cognitive ability to implement the things we know and believe Mm. Whereas when we're, our nervous system is dysregulated, which so many things dysregulate it, you know, different things that alarm us or trigger us or, um, traumas from the past that we again, get frustrated because we're operating from a survival mode of fight or flight mode. Um, or kind of a paralyzed disassociative state, how we can't, the issue is not falling down the ladder. We're all going to get triggered and dysregulated over different things. The strengthening practice of being aware of this and learning how you can help yourself get back to the top and operating from a healthier, more grounded baseline faster, um, is to just understand how it works and, and understand what causes you to be dysregulated or, and what you need to get back to that baseline of feeling safe and secure so that you can, you know, not be alarmed by things so easily. So that's been fascinating to me just to see that in my own life, but just to study it from the scientific standpoint of again, how it affects so much of why we are the way we are and what we can do to learn more about ourselves and why we are the way we are to help create new patterns and new defaults. And, um, so one of the ways that, um, people do kind of learn to return there faster to a more grounded state is grounding exercises. And so sometimes that is deep breathing or engaging in anything you can touch or feel the senses. So, you know, there's, um, actually a really neat article I was reading where it talks about, you know, you do the five, four, three, two, one, anytime something like that happens. So what are five things you can see right now? What are four things you can hear? What are three things you can touch? What are two things you can taste? Maybe it's, you pop a piece of gum in your mouth or you take a sip of water, like things that kind of pattern interrupt when you're in the spiraling state and bring you back to a place of going, I am safe right now. No one is threatening my life. I can calm down. And, you know, so it's fascinating just because again, like I said, I'm, I'm a reader and a researcher and, um, again, have love, love learning. And so that's been a new one lately. I've been uh, learning more about and think it's a fascinating practice. Truly so fascinating. Oh, I'm, I might have to learn more about that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I love that. So, okay. Two more. My style icon is, Oh, golly. That's a tough one. (laughs) I should say Sydney Maddox. She's one of my clients. (laughs) I love it. I always always tell her like, you are mine and Emily's style icon. She just has such a fun sense of style. And it's no wonder I relate to her because she has a very eclectic style, but she'll just, she'll just pull off outfits, you know, little jumpsuits, things that I haven't even attempted. And I'm like, you look so great in that. I never would have thought to wear a jacket that way, or, you know, layered jewelry this way. She'll just kind of, I don't know. I love that. I'm so refreshed by people like that. I love it. She's amazing. Yeah. So I'll give her credits on that one. Cause she was the first one that came to mind. I'm always like, I want to dress more like Cindy. <laughs> oh, love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Um, okay. I love what I do because <sighs> I love what I do because I get to help people, which we've already covered that, but I get to help people in a very specific way that I believe that I was meant to like to get to put the skill sets, the creative skill sets, um, that I believe I was born with to invest in others this way, just there's a sense of coming full circle or really fulfilling a purpose to that, mm. that just, um, you feel like you're in the right place and where you're meant to be doing what you're meant to be doing. 
Oh, beautiful. That's wonderful. Um, can you share how people can connect with you online? Yes. Um, well, the place I hang out most is Instagram. Cause it feels like a digital or virtual living room. Like to me, that's just, I think my favorite place to connect with, um, to connect with friends, new followers and potential clients. Like it ends up just being a, you know, a place that I connect with people probably more quickly, even than my website contact forms, because I'm usually checking it a couple times a day. Um, I post stories more regularly than gallery posts because I overthink my gallery posts and how my grid will read <laughs> over that. Don't we all? <laughs> Right. Um, so Instagram, my handle is KJ Lamaster, which is L E M A S T E R. Um, and then also my website is katherinejlamaster.com. So it's actually K A T H R Y N is how you spell, um, my name. And, um, those are probably the two best places. I have a Facebook page and a Twitter and some of these secondary ones, but probably through the website or Instagram would be the best places to get in touch. Awesome. And is there anything that you, anything else that you'd like people to know as they're following along on social media? Mm. Golly, that's a great question. I, <laughs> I, I share such a good mix of, I don't know, business and personal, um, that, yeah, you'll, you'll get, I guess, a potpourri of all the things that light me up or are important to me. Um, so I use it a lot like a journal, I guess in real time. So mm. some days you may be seeing project behind the scenes, but the next day it's probably going to be excerpts of books I'm reading or things I'm journaling. And so again, I know that's, maybe I, I see people separate like a professional account and a personal account for me. I had too much going on. And to me, I'm like, you know, I don't need that added step of dividing what I share. And I'm like, you know what you're here for it. Like, let's you're all, you're along for the ride. Like you're going to see work. And also like my bare feet as I'm, you know, like tending to whatever that day in the kitchen yes. or just, yeah the, you know, shade of the sunset that day that caught my eye or whatever it is. So not always design related tips and advice. I do share some of that, but a lot of it is more just kind of personal behind the scenes as well. So more, that's just what to expect if you follow me on Instagram. I love it. And I I think people love that too. I, I I know that I feel so much more invested if I'm working with someone, I like to feel like I know them and it's such a benefit to be able, it's cool that we're able to get this kind of insight into people's lives so easily, you know, and that's where it's, yeah, I really enjoy that aspect of it because then at the time I have had people reach out their Instagram to work together. And so at that point, it's like, I've seen their handle. I've seen their name. I'm like, Oh, I know you followed me about three months ago. And like, you've got that cute dog and we kind of have a reference point already. So, and it's like, people already know you when they're reaching out that way, which is cool. It helps you kind of curate your ideal client because they they have a really good idea of who they're reaching out to by the time. They you know, know what they're getting. Someone who's like always hyped up on coffee and is very long-winded <laughs> and has way too many plants, but I'm not going to apologize for it. So yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to have a conversation with me. I, this made my whole day. I am so grateful to you for prioritizing this in your, in your day and in your schedule. Yes. No, it's been such an honor and so fun. And I'm excited for you guys as you grow your podcast and yeah, just excited to be here. So thank you again for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And we will talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It truly lit my heart up. She brought so much joy into this conversation and I feel like it was just contagious. And I hope that you caught that as well. Um, I will talk to you soon. If you enjoyed this please share on social media. Please leave ratings and reviews. Don't forget to tag us or connect with us on social media. On Instagram, we are at the life and style podcast. Thank you so much, friends. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.
This podcast episode was produced by the marketing and media team at Painted Tree Boutiques. Special thanks to Aidan McMillan, Carissa Rodriguez, Becca Melton, and all of the Painted Tree shoppers, staff, and vendors that make this project possible. 